Hi investors, this is Danny with Investorly. At Investorly, we empower you to invest early in your financial future. We recently launched a conversation with our audio series on Twitter. In this episode, we welcomed Natalie Brunel, an established journalist and host of her own podcast called Coin Stories. We learned about her career as a journalist, her insight on Bitcoin, and how she's empowering more women to join the Bitcoin ecosystem. To stay informed of upcoming episodes and receive our insightful weekly newsletter, subscribe at investorly.substack.com. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Where are you coming in from today, Natalie? Well, thanks so much for having me again. I am in the Los Angeles area. So, yeah. West Coast, the best coast. There we go. (laughs) California has been changing a lot. I don't know if you've been out here, but uh, it's definitely different from the first time I moved out here about 15 years ago. Uh, Yes, there's been some uh, evolutions, let's say, since I moved out here as well. (laughs) But uh, let's go ahead and fire away with the first question here. We... um, our publication is called Investorly, which is Invest Early. And um, we always uh, love to hear our guests' perspective on how they started investing and what did they invest early in. Yeah, so I'm sort of, um, I'm, I'm kind of new to investing, to be honest with you. I've been in Bitcoin since 2017, and I honestly started investing in Bitcoin before I ever started to get into the stock market. Um, and I learned about Bitcoin from some friends who worked in the Silicon Valley area, and they were, some of them were in crypto. One of them had lost a lot of money in the Mt. Gox incident. If any of your viewers or, or listeners are familiar with that, a lot of people lost some Bitcoins back back then. And uh, another worked for Coinbase. And so basically, I heard about Bitcoin and I was curious enough to buy. I'm really grateful I did. But I really wasn't an investor. To be honest with you, I come from an immigrant background. I was always taught to save a lot. But we sort of viewed the stock market as sort of um, intimidating and overwhelming. My family did. And so I would just, you know, get my paycheck. I was a news reporter for many, many years. I would get my paycheck. I would stick a huge amount in savings. And then I would spend the rest on my living expenses. Um, And I really wish that someone had encouraged me to learn about investing because I would probably be a lot better off. Thank God for Bitcoin. Um, But uh, yeah, I actually got involved in learning about the stock market when everything crashed during the pandemic, like so many people did. And I actually ended up becoming a day trader very quickly. I learned as much as I could about options trading. And I would listen to YouTube videos of macro strategists and just learn a little bit about the the different ways people invest in the stock market. Um, But really, ultimately, I was very passionate about Bitcoin. Bitcoin, and I saw that as as really just the future of of monetary technology. I, I when I learned about Bitcoin, I also learned about hard money. And so, to be honest with you, I'm not really I'm not in the stock market anymore. I'm really just in in Bitcoin. So, Natalie, so interesting. Thank God for Bitcoin, and of course, what a day to talk about Bitcoin and say thank God for Bitcoin as Bitcoin reaches a new all time high of nearly sixty seven thousand dollars today. You mentioned that you. Uh, you got into Bitcoin in 2017. So you, uh, while maybe not having that traditional background in investing, clearly have been through the ups and downs. Uh, and interesting to hear that you got into day trading and, and now you're out of stocks. But you also have this extensive resume uh, when it comes to journalism. So let's let's hear a little bit about what your first job in journalism was and sort of did you have a mentor from the start and how do you come to 
Yeah. Um, you know, working in journalism gave me so many useful skills, especially now that I'm trying to communicate the message of Bitcoin to uh, people in the general public. So I'm super, super grateful. Um, but, you know, journalism is, is a very tough industry. You start in a very, very small market. Um, you're not making a lot of money. The, the industry has changed so much because of the digital landscape and things like social media. And, you know, today, pretty much anyone can have their own YouTube show or podcast. And I'm of, I'm a big example of that, right? So there's decentralization that's hitting not only finance, but also media. So, um, but you know, I was, I started as a cub reporter and I covered anything and everything under the sun, everything from public policies and local elections to breaking news, fires and hurricanes and, um, you know, uh, local crime, all of it. And I started in a small market called, um, it was Palm Springs and it's in the, it's sort of near Los Angeles if you're familiar with Southern California, but it's sort of a, a small news market. And uh, I worked my way up from there to the state capitol in Sacramento, covering a lot of public policy. And then I moved back to Los Angeles um, where I had gone to college. So um, yeah, but my news career kind of took me all over the country. I was at one point a national correspondent for ABC News. So I got to cover um, news in, in multiple other states. And a lot of it was, you know, just kind of the, the the national tragedies that we were experiencing over the course of two years, a lot of mass shootings, um, wildfires, a massive hurricane. And so I learned a lot because I would hop around and just become like a mini expert in lots of different topics. And uh, I, I never really connected the dots with all the problems that I was seeing and how broken our financial system is. So that was really the wake up call for me with, with Bitcoin is when I went down the rabbit hole and Thank, thankfully, someone, a mentor of mine gave me the book, The Bitcoin Standard. I really started to peel back the layers of why do certain things in our government, why do certain things in our financial system work the way that they do? Why am I seeing so much wealth inequality in a country that's supposed to represent you know, the American dream and the reason my family came here? And once I started to learn more, I started to really understand the the perils of money printing and the things that are really going wrong and how Bitcoin can fix them by returning us to this sense of hard money. So I see Bitcoin as a life raft. I see it so much more than an investment. I see it as true savings technology and the ability for us to return to a sense of hard money and, and a sense of equality in a system based on free markets and on value. That's a great point, Natalie, and I completely agree with you on that. Uh, my next question to you is, well, actually, first of all, you said you're, you come from an immigrant family. Are you first, first or second generation or? Yeah, I was born in Poland and my family moved here when I was five. So both my parents grew up in a communist country and they waited about 20 years to be able to come to the United States. So we, I'm, I'm the story of, you know, the, the immigrant family that wants to come here and achieve the, the American dream and be part of the middle class. Wow, that's interesting. So you're you're multilingual or bilingual, I, I'm assuming? Yes. So I speak English, obviously. Um, and then I speak Polish and I speak Italian as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Man, I'm so intimidated right now. Um, okay. <laughs> as far as your reporting um, or, or journalism, what was like the most exciting location that you've done? 
Oh gosh, exciting location. I mean, I can't even tell you how many stories I've covered over the last, you know, 10 plus years because as a reporter, you're required to file at least one story, sometimes two in a, in a given day, and you're always just kind of chasing whatever is the latest thing happening. So, you know, I covered everything from the presidential election to when Hurricane Florence came to Wilmington and it was supposed to come in as a historic category 5. Um, to some of the terrible, terrible mass shootings we've experienced, to the funeral of Barbara Bush. I mean, anything and everything I've covered. Um, I think one of the most meaningful stories I've covered as a reporter was actually in my first market. I helped uncover a basically um, like a, a corruption scandal with our local mayor in Palm Springs. And um, I worked really, really hard. I learned a lot about just uncovering documents and really holding political officials feet to the fire. And the mayor ended up indicted on more than 30 counts of public corruption. And so I felt like I, my, my work, my hard work really paid off. And I, I really felt fulfilled in the sense that I was being a watchdog for the people out there who are, you know, taxpayers and just, you know, doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden their, their politicians are backs from local developers and whatnot. So that, that was a really meaningful story in my career. And Funny enough, actually, fast forward seven years, I returned to Los Angeles as an investigative reporter, and a very similar situation was happening here with local officials. And so, you know, the whole thing has always made me a little bit jaded about politics and whether people are in it for the right reasons and whether our system is set up in a way where people kind of, um, you know, they they t kind of take advantage of where the money's coming from and they're really, really trying to get reelected. And so money is a very big concern for me and where it's going in politics. Hold on. This is news to me, Natalie. So wait, so you're, you're saying there's corruption in politics? <laughs> Hold on. This is breaking news for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I completely understand. And that's, that's uh, crazy to cover such uh, fascinating stories on that. And, and, you know, sometimes whenever you don't even know that they kind of uh, evolve um, and come out mm -hmm. as, as giant stories, but was there one, one prominent, you know, public figure that, um, it was last second and you had zero preparation time. Uh, and it was, you know, somebody, um, a senator or somebody who was a celebrity or something like that. And, and it was supposed to be like an in-depth conversation. And it was just really thrown on you last second. No, um, I haven't experienced that, you know, and something I really pride myself on is really doing a lot of homework and research. Like the biggest compliment to me is when my podcast guests say, wow, like you've done your homework, you've done your research before you interviewed me. And so that's something I really pride myself on. And to be honest, I, reporters are some of the most hardworking, versatile people I've ever met. Um, I'm so proud to have worked with so many of the colleagues that I've had because being a reporter is very, very, very hard. I mean, you're literally thrown different every single day and you have, you could have to pivot last minute and you're just sitting on your phone becoming the best, you know, researcher on, on a short deadline. You become a very fast writer and you be, you become able to take a complex topic and synthesize it into something that people can digest in about a minute or two. So, you know, we work really, really hard. I know that there's a lot of people that are very critical of media right now, but on a, on a micro level, individual reporters, a lot of us, you know, we just, we're trying to do our best with the, with the, you know, challenges before us. And, um, you know, ultimately I obviously left the, the media world cause I felt like I could do more good in, in spreading the word on Bitcoin. But, um, I think being a reporter really prepares you for so much and makes you a very good, very, very quick thinker and, and a very good communicator. What's fascinating, you guys, we're, we're mentioning sort of public figures and government and politics. And so obviously over the last six months, uh, specifically related to Bitcoin, we've had a lot of that from China's 
complete sort of banning of all Bitcoin mining and everything to more recently, we have the mayor, uh, Mayor Suarez in Miami, sort of introducing the Miami coin and trying to make Miami the center of sort of uh, mm. cryptocurrency all the way to sort of Governor Abbott in Texas talking about making Texas the number one state for Bitcoin mining. What are your sort of feelings about the, you know, uh, government uh, politicians and uh, certain individuals that are taking uh, a pro Bitcoin stance or pro crypto stance, and and do you see the sort of tide turning uh, to getting more of those individuals? You know, I do. I'm actually really bullish on where politicians are headed, and at least in this country, with regards to Bitcoin. Um, you know, obviously, just the ETF being approved, I think that that shows a lot of legitimacy by the SEC to to move forward with that. And I'm not a proponent of necessarily buying the ETF because I think that owning and, and custodying Bitcoin yourself is the most important thing. And you'll see all the profits that way. Um, but look, I mean, there's a lot of education to be done. I get contacted now left and right by people within political um, members' offices who say, hey, my boss really wants to know about Bitcoin or my staff really wants to learn about it. Where, where do I start? And and the, the rabbit hole can be very overwhelming for someone who doesn't have a lot of time, right? Politicians are pulled in so many different directions. My one um, big thing is I really just don't want to see Bitcoin being politicized because, you know, today we live in such a divisive culture and society that the second that one side says that they're for something almost, you know, just to, to stick it to the other side, you know, the other party says that they're against it. And that hurt a lot of people because Bitcoin is something that can help everybody. It is the people's money. It is it represents freedom. Um, it's changing lives in different countries and giving people access to banking in third world countries and allowing them to facilitate pay payments without crazy fees to banks. And it's really a tool for human rights. And so I think that there are these, you know, facets and principles of Bitcoin that appeal so much to both parties. And I just I just want to be part of the effort to educate politicians on both sides of the aisle about Bitcoin and how it can empower their their constituents. Because, um, you know, day, whether it's red or blue, I, I'm one of those people that believe we have more in common than we than we don't. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, everyone's just trying to make it by and they want to be able to take care of their families. They want to go to work and make sure that they earn enough so that they can have, uh, you know, the kind of life that they want to have and provide education for their kids and have a house and have a retirement. I mean, most people are not sitting here planning to become the next next Jeff Bezos or own a yacht. And the way our system works right now is we have a collapsing dollar and the, the purchasing power is declining year by year. And people have to take these risks in order to, you know, protect their money. They have to try to beat inflation by being, you know, their own kind of stockbroker or day trader and going into the, you know, the, the stock world and trying to figure out, well, where do I bet today? Or, you know, maybe they're going to try to go into the real estate market, but it's at an all time high. And it's just, it doesn't have to be that hard. You know, you should be able to just put your money away and not have to worry about it. It should, it should appreciate in value as opposed to you needing to, you know, take out a, a massive loan because taking out debt is essentially, you know, more profitable than leaving something in the bank at this point. We've turned our economy and, you know, upside down in the sense that we're measuring its health by how much people are spending as opposed to how much people are saving. And when we save, we can have the money for capital investments and to, to really innovate and and create value. And I think that we're just, we've basically, um, you know, sold a lot of that to, to other countries, namely China. And we're, we're importing away more than we're exporting. Not a lot's made in America. And I just, I worry about the direction we're going in. And so 
again, like it's really important to educate the people who are representing us in Congress um, and in, in the White House so that they make the right decisions about regulating this asset. I don't think they could ever kill it. I don't think they could ban it because if you understand the technology, you'll see that that's very, very hard. But but of course, they can you know provide some hurdles or, or challenges, especially with things like taxation. So um, that's a long winding answer. But I just think a lot of work needs to be done in the in the political arena. Isn't that the truth? Long-winded answer, but a good one. Uh, you touched on a few topics that I actually want to follow up on with you, but I want to just take a quick second to thank everybody in the audience for joining us. Uh, make sure to obviously follow uh, Natalie and her uh, Coin Stories podcast, one of the best in the business, um, and let you guys know that uh, at the end of this conversation, we're going to give away a premium subscription to Investor League to anybody that, uh, or to someone that joins us and asks a question uh, at the end. And we're also going to take one question uh, right after this. So if you have a question right now and you want to jump up on stage, send me a request. I'm going to pop uh, you up here and you can ask Natalie a question. But I want to follow up there about the the, the sort of the politics and the custodying, um, not buying the Bitcoin sort of uh, futures ETF. And I understand why you wouldn't. Uh, you'd probably want to wait for a, a Bitcoin uh, spot uh, ETF. But you said something fascinating about sort of you said Bitcoin is hard money and obviously um, custodying it's important. So What's, what's a recommendation for anybody sort of new to the scene in how they should store their Bitcoin or how do you do it? Yeah. So look, if, if someone is brand new and just starting out on one of these exchanges and they're putting more, you know, disposable income, something like in, in the hundreds range, I mean, everyone has a different budget, right? But if you're, if you're just starting out, then I think it's okay to keep things on an exchange and whatever is the easiest way to get, get people on, on board for. However, if you start allocating significant you know, portions of your portfolio to it. And, and I'm definitely certainly in that place. I really recommend cold storage. It's really the safest way. Um, I think people should take ownership of their private keys and make sure that they're storing it that they're fully responsible for. I think that idea of self-custody and individual sovereignty that Bitcoin is really about, I think is really important. And I think we just need to educate people because right now the biggest hurdle with just the general public is, hey, what is Bitcoin and how do I buy it? Right. So it's, it's really right, right now. I think the big hurdle is just getting people sort of on the exchanges, purchasing what they would maybe spend on a coffee, right? And just get them in, interested, involved, watch the price and starting to pay attention and wanting to learn about it. The next step is, hey, if you've been on one of these exchanges for a while, if you've added significant amounts to your portfolio or if your portfolio is just appreciated a lot, I mean, look at the appreciation we just the last year. Your portfolio might have started at 5% and grown to 20% of your of net worth. So um, at that point, I think it's really important to take what you have and put it on a cold storage wallet. The ones that I recommend are Ledger and Trezor and uh, and just learn self-custody and make sure to protect protect your assets because at, at that point you are your own bank, which is why I think that the ETF is so attractive to some people because people don't, they want exposure, but they don't want to be their own bank. But I think that that aspect is very, very important. And it's, it's not that hard to learn. It just takes a little bit of time, but self-custody is, is a great way to have financial freedom and sovereignty over your net worth. Education is key and uh, taking control of your, your destiny uh, and your financial picture is, is something we regularly talk about investing uh, at Investorly. So I brought up Brad uh, from, the, from the, the audience. Uh, and Brad, if you want to un unmute yourself and ask uh, Natalie a question, here's your chance. Hi, Natalie, and thanks for uh, allowing me to talk. I was just curious what your thoughts are for the need that there would be some sort of a lower volatility option 
uh, for Bitcoin, especially in this space, just much like you have for equity markets to maybe get some of investors out there that might be a little bit nervous about some of Bitcoin's volatility? Well, thanks, Brad. Um, look, the, on the volatility front, this is a brand new monetary asset. We are just 12 years in and the performance is, is really speaking for itself as far as an asset. I believe it took about a thousand years for gold to become money. We're not, we're, we're really in still that store of value point when it comes to the timeline of money. We're, we're slowly getting into medium of exchange. Certainly people are using it for transactions and you can do so very quickly and inexpensively using the Lightning Network, but we're not certainly at a unit of account yet. So we've got a ways to go. We still have a huge amount of mass adoption to, to, try, to, to try to get into this space. But what I will say about the volatility is Bitcoin is not something that I would tell someone to invest in unless they're prepared for not looking at it, not touching it for at least four years. I mean, this is something that you set and forget this is the long term hold angle. And if you're trying to trade it, then I'm not the right person to talk to you for that, because I don't I don't want to experience the sort of capital gains and trying to time the market. I dollar cost average every single week and I've been stacking 2007 ever selling once. And at this point with our new high price, everybody that has held in Bitcoin is in profit. So this is something that I recommend and I know Michael Saylor our legendary Michael Saylor has said this too. This isn't something you buy to sell in a year or two and if it if you want to sell it in a year or two then maybe this isn't the right asset for you to look at. But if you have a long time horizon and you're really thinking about your future and you see the potential of Bitcoin potentially even being like a global reserve asset, then that's something you want to, you know, allocate part of your portfolio to. So volatility is fine for me. And the other thing I will say, I would rather have a volatile appreciating asset than a stable depreciation depreciating asset like the dollar. Man, Natalie, that is, uh, ain't that the truth, a depreciating asset, the dollar. That's right. You got to understand everybody that uh, every day that you're sitting in cash, that cash is becoming less. It's like playing Monopoly and giving extra money just because everybody has more of it. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's worth more. So um, we've got more questions. I'm going to actually let one more up before we get back. And if you have more, we're going to have some more time at the end. So just hold on. I'm going to bring up Chase and let him ask one more question just to involve the community a little bit more. Uh, and thank you for taking the questions early for us, uh, Natalie. Yeah, I've got a question for you guys. I'm just kind of making comparisons kind of to this paradigm shift that we might be seeing here. Right now, you know, we don't go, if you own bonds, you don't go to the grocery store and pay for your groceries with uh, with your you know treasury bonds, right? You have dollars and you do it that way. Would you possibly got? Would you guys see that Bitcoin becomes kind of this bottom of the pyramid as far as our you know financial system? Do you guys see that as a possibility instead of being like a medium of exchange, just being the base layer that everyone trusts? And you know maybe there's some other items that we use to go to the grocery store with. Um, well, I personally think that the Lightning Network is really going to transform this and empower Bitcoin to be this sort of fast transaction medium of exchange. It's already happening. I mean, in El Salvador right now, which I it as tender, you can go to Starbucks and Pizza Hut and McDonald's and you can pay using Bitcoin. And that's powered by the Lightning Network. Um, and obviously now some of us or most of us, I think, have tips enabled on Twitter here and that's empowering the network as well. So I think that that's going to happen. I think that the fast trends um, are not going to settle on the, the actual Bitcoin blockchain when it gets adopted 
adopted by, say, you know, billions of users around the world. I think that it's got on those secondary um, layers. And I think that that technology is just going to get better and better with time. So I'm super excited to see what happens in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, I think Bitcoin is going to be primarily a store of value. We have, I think I read that we have 46 million millionaires around the world and there are only 21 million bitcoins okay so i don't i think that as this grows and as there's more adoption we're going to be thinking about sats more than anything else we'll be you know transacting in satoshis and i really hope to see that very soon because i think that there's sort of a unit bias right now with bitcoin and so people see it as this big hurdle because they see them the massive price tag of 60 something thousand and they think they're too late and the truth is you can still get so many sats for <laughs> for very very little and we're all you know if you, you if you have just um, a couple hundred dollars that you put in Bitcoin, you're almost a Satoshi millionaire. So I think that if we move to that next level of, you know, medium of exchange and everyone's using Bitcoin and eventually we price things in Bitcoin, that's going to be exciting. But it's, it's I don't think it's going to happen on the base layer. Um, you know, the, the Bitcoin blockchain, I think those settlements are going to be completely different. I think that most of the transactions will settle on the Lightning Network to ask you, Natalie, um, what, what's your perspective? Because personally, I'm a little bit torn uh, about actually giving up my Bitcoin um, in order to like a movie or buy a car or grab my Starbucks or something like that. So what's your link on like transacting with Bitcoin in a first world nation like this? Like if you're in a, a third world nation or developing country, it's understanding uh, because of the, maybe the monetary system is uh, um, very, very hyperinflation or something like that. But Somewhere like here, um, would you want to give up your Bitcoin in order to go see a movie or buy a car or something like that? <laughs> That's a great question. No, not yet. I'm trying to stack as many sats as, as heavenly possible. That's why I'm still dollar cost averaging. And I don't, you know, I buy when it's, I bought when it dipped down into the 20s and 30s and I bought on in in the 50s and I'm going to keep on buying because I still think we're very early. I think it's fun to be able to transact a little bit here and there, like to send each other tips. Um, and I've, I've sent some of my friends some Bitcoin, but only to really just spark that engagement. But I really am trying to hodl as much as possible. I just think it's so important. I mean, for me, I really see this as a store of value and I don't want to, I don't want to lose, you know, some sats that eventually are going to be worth so much more money in the future. So for me, it's important to, to keep the Bitcoin that I have, but you know, I understand why some people want to transact in it. Certainly there's people that have gotten super early, right? So if you, if you've been in Bitcoin since 2011 and now you can pay your rent in Bitcoin, well, why not? I mean, I think that freedom of choice is super important in the market and let the market decide. Um, but I'm definitely keeping as much Bitcoin as possible. Keeping as much Bitcoin as possible sounds like a uh, life goal, honestly, uh, and stacking sats as possible as well. Speaking of that, I just used my BlockFi credit card to pay for my lunch. There's nothing like using my BlockFi credit card to earn uh, big rewards. Uh, that feels like I'm cheating uh, to my advantage. What's your feeling in the BlockFi credit card at this point? And what's your thoughts on sort of the evolution of earning rewards uh, in Bitcoin? Yes, I have my BlockFi credit card. I'm super grateful. I actually had the chance to interview the co-founder of BlockFi, Flori Marquez, on my podcast, Coin Story. So I hope everyone checks out that episode. She's a wonderful power female in the space. Um, yeah, so I love earning rewards, the Bitcoin rewards. I also love doing the spin wheel on the Fold app, and I have a Fold card. And I think that that's also a really great way to get people on board because it's just it's a really easy way to just start stacking sats and you have fun 
fun with it and you sort of familiarize people with the with the network and just encourage them to learn. Look, Bitcoin can be a little bit overwhelming because the technology it is it's both it's both beautifully simple and yet completely ridiculously complex and intricate at the same time. I mean, you could spend thousands of hours on it and I have. I've pretty much dedicated the last year to just going as deep down the rabbit hole as and there's always something new to learn and always someone great in the in the thought leader space in Bitcoin to discuss a really interesting topic with. Um, but really, I just think getting that that exposure, whether it's through rewards and, and you know, companies like Lolly or Fold that are giving people access and allowing them to just release stacks. I think it's awesome. And I think it encourages people to just, you know, get into the space and, and have some fun and and start to think about their finances in a different way. Indeed. I think it's good for everybody to think about their finances in a different way, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, uh, and no matter what your sort of uh, thoughts are. Uh, If you're thinking about uh, your financial future, you're already starting the process of sort of learning. And uh, I've seen Flory talk often uh, across networks. She's a fantastic uh, communicator, uh, project sort of leader. Uh, So, uh, you know, you two together power women uh, across the board. And that actually leads me to a, a good question here. I mean, being a woman in crypto, I mean, it, it, should, it doesn't matter, but it's, there, there's less of them. So how do you sort of uh, evolve uh, the, thought, the thought and evolve sort of uh, to get more females into prominent positions at prominent companies uh, as we move forward? Yeah, I mean, the great thing about Bitcoin is it's for everyone. There, It has no gender, it has no race, it has no nationality, no language, it has no CEO, it has no president, it has no borders. I love that it's for everybody. But, you know, if you go to Bitcoin conferences or events, which I have been over the last year, it'd be, it would be lying if you didn't notice that there's definitely more women, or I mean, more men in the room than women. And I definitely want to change that. I want to empower women in general to increase their level of financial literacy. I think it's super important. And I think for women, a sense of community is also really important. So I think that what if they have women to look to that they can feel welcomed by and give them a path to learn about it, um, I think that that will encourage more adoption. Um, for some reason, I don't know why it's so dumb men, but the numbers are really there. Actually, BlockFi put out a survey, I believe it was about a month ago, that said 94% of women are familiar with sort of the term and the idea of cryptocurrency, but only 9% feel that they understand it. And while more than 50% say that they believe the price will go up in the next five years of Bitcoin, less than a third are willing to invest in it. And so I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done to change that. And I think it'll be women working to bring in more women that will help lead that charge. Um, I certainly, you know, look to women that I could look up to. And I did that in the the industry when I was in news. Um, And I I think I do it in a lot of aspects of my life. If there's something that my girlfriends are really passionate about, it it sparks my interest and I want to learn about it and maybe get involved with them. So I'm doing my part. I'm doing my best. I think education, again, is really, really important and making sure that they feel like they can be empowered by this sort of financial revolution that's happening. I want them to be a part of it. Um, But again, I think what's great is Bitcoin's for everybody. It doesn't it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like. Bitcoin is is a chance to really change your financial future. And I think that that's amazing. Uh, I just saw an interview um, a few days ago that when you interviewed Michael Saylor, you were asking him, uh, I, I believe you started it with saying he's, or prefaced it by saying he's kind of the, the Bitcoin dad, or he's kind of become that Bitcoin dad role. And then um, I think he called you the queen of Bitcoin. Is that right? <laughs> no. So I asked 
Michael Saylor um, in my interview, I, I, you know, referred to the fact that he's known as sort of the Hornet Lord. He's sort of the father of Bitcoin that everybody looks to. And I asked him who he believes the queen bee is, like, who's the power female that's sort of like him? And he joked that maybe that could be me. And obviously that was, <laughs> I mean, I wish, but um, I certainly, I don't have a company that can purchase a hundred thousand Bitcoins, not there yet. Um, but it was very nice of him to, to jokingly say that. <laughs> well, at the very least, maybe you could be the face of, of Bitcoin. You're doing a, a fantastic job of educating uh, the public about that for sure. I also just wanted to add that I have a, um, I have this amazing opportunity right now. I'm teaching a workshop series called Women in Bitcoin. We have um, more than 40 women from around the world, everywhere from Australia to Guatemala to Barcelona um, and all over the U.S. And they're just incredible women who are passionate about not only Bitcoin, but just forming a sense of community and inviting the women in their lives to learn about it. And so I, I just I think that those numbers, those ratios are going to change pretty soon. And I think Bitcoin will be 50 50 pretty soon. <laughs> if, there's a, if there's a way for us to, to, to share a link to that or, or, or share, share with the community other ways that, uh, you know, women can uh, be empowered to, to get involved, uh, you know, one day we'll definitely get to you. Let's let's kind of steer the, the conversation shortly uh, for a little bit here towards you and the Coin Stories podcast. Uh, and I'm curious as someone that's done lots of interviews and, and, uh, such, I mean, do you have someone that's been, and, and I pinned something to, uh, to the top of this chat so people could see, uh, a, a tweet that you had put out earlier today, uh, about Peter Schiff. Do you think that Bitcoin will go to a million dollars at some point? I do. I really do believe that. Yes. I think that. I would be surprised, actually, if in the next six months we weren't in the six-figure range. And I do believe that in the future we will hit the million dollars higher than that. The real question is, and I was actually answering um, some a question similar to this for a newspaper called The Sun earlier today. It was like, where do you see big years? And really at that point, like in 10 years... I, I certainly think that Bitcoin could be several million, but I don't know what the dollar will be worth. <laughs> and so that's really the big question, because the amount of money printing that's happening is just so scary in, in this country. It really just makes me question what direction we're heading in. And it makes me super fired up to educate people about how money printing works, because so many people don't understand how that aggravates and creates wealth inequality. And so I'm super passionate about educating people in that area. And I, um, yeah, I definitely think Bitcoin's going to get to a million dollars. I just don't know what one million U.S. dollars will be worth. That's such a that's such a good point. Uh, I too actually believe that we'll uh, we'll we'll get that six figure uh, number in the in, in the upcoming months, and that I think uh, it's not uh, you know fud or, or anything crazy to think that a uh, million dollars is definitely uh, somewhere down the future. And that's why dollar cost averaging uh, and stacking Sats are two of the most uh, you know, important things you can do, uh, even if you just start today, if you're in this conversation in the audience, you just start today. Uh, and then over the long term, uh, you will uh, improve uh, and take control of your financial future. But I do have a couple questions around the Coin Stories podcast, Natalie. Uh, do you have a best guest so far? Someone that just was like, I need that guest again. Uh, well, actually, you brought up my tweet of Peter Schiff. Peter, awesome. Even though he's the contrarian perspective, he is anti-Bitcoin. 
I think he's hedging his bet with his son, Spencer, who owns the Bitcoin. <laughs> um, but Peter was wonderful to talk to because he is a wealth of knowledge on the history of government money. So even though we've arrived at different conclusions, he arrives at returning to the gold standard. I've arrived at Bitcoin and the disruptive technology behind it. We both agree on the problems in the government system with fiat and the money printing. And so he, he talks brilliantly about how everything functions. He can literally name specific dates of when certain laws were passed that affected our economy. And it's just fascinating listening to him. So I'm bringing him back on. I had this funny exchange and moment with him on Coin Stories about uh, two months ago where he basically admitted that he should have bought Bitcoin. He heard about it a very long time ago and could have been in very, very early. So I don't know if he's just on principle, you know, he's he's staying against it. But um, but he was wonderful to talk to. I've read his books. He's just fascinating. I would, of course, love to talk to Michael Saylor again. Um, I would love to talk to Satan again, and I'm, I'm planning on doing that soon. He just released The Fiat Standard, which is a follow-up to his brilliant book, The Bitcoin Standard. And he talks about how government money has impacted things like our industry. You know, government subsidized corn and um, soybeans. And that has led to some very big problems within just mass food production and the quality of our nutrition. And it's just fascinating to really dig in. And he did fascinating research for it. So I highly recommend people look at the fiat standard. And then I have a ton of wish lists that I've never gotten a chance to talk to, like Kathy Wood. Um, I still want to talk to the Winklevoss brothers. I'd like to get more women in general on my podcast. And, um, and I'd love to talk to like Elon Musk or Jack Dorsey and some of these big folks but I don't think I'm big enough to get those yet. <laughs> I completely understand. And, and man, there's so many more people that are prominent in the space that you want to get in there. But what is there one guest that you learned so much from? Like you were just sitting there staring at the, at the screen or the camera or something like after the interview, you learned so much from them. You were just, your mind was blown. I mean, it's it's a tie. I mean, I felt that way about Peter Schiff. I felt that way about Safedine. I'm about to release an interview with Vijay Boyapati, who's the author of The Bullish Case for Bitcoin. Fascinating. Like one of the best interviews I've ever done. I learned a ton from Lynn Alden. Um, I mean, everyone, I have learned so much from everyone, even though I feel like I do so, so, so much homework. Um, I always learn something and it's just great to talk to folks. But yeah, I, uh, I just I can't wait because there's just so many more people I want to interview and learn. And I always love hearing how different everyone's path was, how different everyone's career was, and at what point they discovered Bitcoin and why they became so convicted. Um, because, uh, you know, we all come from different directions and backgrounds, but we've all sort of arrived at the same conclusion. And I think that's so cool. It is. And you've had you've had tremendous uh, guests and and. I've listened to Peter Schiff myself with uh, Pomp and on multiple uh, podcasts and conversations, and he really is uh, a, a great speaker. He's really educated, uh, great points. Uh, so I, I love hearing from him. I, just between us, do you really think that he doesn't have any Bitcoin? Like, I mean, it seems like it's, it would be impossible, right? <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. Like, like I said, I joked with him that he's hedging his bet with Spencer. So he's filling Spencer's bag and he's going to, you know, he's going to benefit from that. But, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, you know, it's fascinating listening to him talk on Joe Rogan. He's been on probably five or six times. All the interviews are over two hours. I've listened to all of them there. I mean, he's just a wealth of knowledge and Joe kind of pushes him on some of the subjects. And so it's really interesting, but I don't know. I, I think, I think he has Bitcoin via Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> Spencer's. Yeah. I mean, that, that, 
that that's probably true. It's just so hard when you hear him like talking to Pomp, and uh, he just keeps coming back to take the the, the torture. It's almost like you know it, it, we keep going higher, and he he just is so steadfast in his belief, which you have to admire. But um, yeah, you're probably right. He's just living through. Uh, he's got Spencer's bags filled. Well, did you see that really funny meme where someone redid the cover of the book? You know, poor. Um, rich dad rich dad rich son or something they did poor 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 dad rich son as peter Schiff's cover it was so 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 funny um it was kiyosaki's book and kiyosaki's obviously very into bitcoin but it was just a hilarious meme i'm gonna have to find that if somebody if, if somebody has that send me a message no that i i totally understand uh how that would be funny that's good so i want to let the community come up for the next 10 minutes or so ask some questions uh and again we're going to give away an investorly premium subscription to uh to someone in the audience that asks a question uh and if you don't want to actually come up on stage but you want to ask a question you can shoot me a message right now and i'll ask it but i do have one more question for you natalie i know you're obviously uh a bullish bitcoin and and how could you not be as someone that's into crypto since 2017 uh you know i've been into crypto myself since uh a long time ago as well. And I'm bullish Bitcoin, but I'm also bullish uh, the space. I'm bullish blockchain technology. I'm bullish decentralization. And so are you interested, invested in other uh, cryptocurrencies? And, and what's your sort of feel out of Bitcoin? Yeah, right now I'm really just um, focused on Bitcoin, to be honest with you. And I'm very curious, but skeptical about the space in general. I know that there's people out there that really, really disagree. Um, but I just I worry about some of these other currencies becoming essentially pump and dump scams. And I don't know about the underlying technology and, and whether it's, you know, very centralized and the, the supply can be easily expanded. And and so I don't see that as um, the type of technology that, that could really be life changing and return us to a sense of sound, hard money the way Bitcoin can. And, you know, if people want to invest and, and they maybe put a thousand dollars into Shiba Inu last year and all of a sudden they're a millionaire 10 times over, then hey, good for you. I believe in free markets and free choice. <laughs> I just personally am, am very skeptical of a lot of the other currencies out there. And, you know, there are what, more than 11,000 right now. I just, I really hope people are doing their research before they, they put a, a significant amount of money into a cryptocurrency. And I'm, I'm curious to see what, because people forget that I think over the course of the last you know, hundred years or or whatnot. There, there have been I think two thousand companies that have tried to create cars, and we only have like ten car models that of us is familiar with, or ten car brands, ten car companies. I think the the same thing will happen with cryptocurrencies. I think the cream will rise to the top, and there will be some that survive, and others that fall by the wayside. And so you don't want to be you know caught holding the bag when when everyone leaves and when the musical chair music stops. <laughs> Would you, would you consider yourself, so then it sounds like you're a Bitcoin maximalist? I'm a non-toxic maximalist, sir. <laughs> I don't know. What, is that, what does that mean? It means that I would... <laughs> It means that I'm I'm a kind maximalist that won't judge anyone if they have bags that don't... <laughs> don't <laughs> that have other yeah, Nah, t totally fair. Listen, I I'm a owner of Bitcoin. I, I hear you, though. I think it, it is important to make sure that people understand. I mean, you said it yourself. There's 11,000 cryptos out there. Uh, you know, don't be investing in, in trying to trade every single dog coin uh, for the quick dump, uh, you know, pump and dump. You might get lucky once, but it's like the casino. Long run, you're probably going to leave uh, empty handed. So it's definitely smart to be safe uh, and, and make sure you do your research, uh, but invest in, in sort of the best and leave the rest for the, for others. So we have a, a guest uh, that's 
come up. I, I've invited you to speak. Be back. If you want to ask your question, now's your shot. And anybody else that wants to come up stage, you have a little bit of time left. Just uh, request now. Yeah, sure. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, uh, Natalie, quick question for you. Um, number one, I'm going to start off. Uh, you actually know my sister, Danya Backus, who's a fellow reporter. Um, oh, she, yes. Yeah, she gave me word about your podcast because I've been in crypto for a little while now, uh, probably since 2015, really, I've, I've heard of it, but I didn't really start following it heavily until around the same time frame you did, around 2017. I've been listening to you all, and I just want to get your thoughts on crypto and if people genuinely believe in crypto right now, or are they just seeing it as something to get in and potentially get money? Something that was apparent to me, especially you all just brought up like Dogecoin and maybe Shiba Nua, was that a lot of people were putting so much money into those coins, but they really had no true use case. Like, you know, everybody knows Dogecoin started off as a joke pretty much. And it almost got up to like 50 cents. And that made something a apparently clear to me was like, I don't know if people right now are really genuinely believing in blockchain technology or if they're just seeing this as something to just get in and get some money. So I want to get your thoughts on, you know, where you think people are right now in terms of genuinely believing in this technology or if it's just people having fear of missing out. Yeah, that's a great question. And please say hello to Danya. Uh, she and I were colleagues at ABC News, and she's fantastic. Um, so what I want to say about that is I, I actually tweeted something about this yesterday, and it was something to the effect of the fact that the other cryptocurrencies sort of require, a lot of them at least, require an exit strategy, and you're timing the market. You're trying to get in, you know, and, and I think, Michael, you said this, sort of that casino mentality. You're trying to get in and get out at the right time where you made a huge profit, and maybe you put in you know, a thousand dollars and was worth less than a penny. And all of a sudden it shoots up to five cents and you're, you're rich, you know, right? Well, that's, that's awesome. You took a gamble and it paid off, but certainly that doesn't mean that there's an underlying use case for that technology or for that specific project or, you know, smart contract, whatnot. Bitcoin is revolutionary. I mean, Bitcoin is really the first and best use case for blockchain and it could change our entire financial system and it can return us to a sense, you know, equality and, and, and an economy based on value and supply and demand. We are not we are not in that world right now. We have manipulated artificial interest rates and we have the government printing a ton of money, collapsing the power of the dollar and we live in bubbles. And so I can see why it's attractive for people to say, hey, I could buy up, you know, a million or five million coins because it's less than a penny of whatever the new meme coin is and hopefully I'll get rich. But the truth is, is again, you're going to have to figure out when to dump that because it's not really worth anything. That's not the case with Bitcoin. You can, you know, safely rely on Bitcoin as a monetary network that you can use to transact or you can put your money away there in my opinion and like in four six ten years that's something that you can look to as a retirement account or you know your your savings technology and I think that's so powerful because right now we don't have a place where you, you can put your money and have it appreciate over time. Yes, it's volatile like we discussed, but look at the logarithmic chart over the last 10 years. I mean, it has appreciated in 10 years a million. The S&P has gone up about 330% in that time. Amazon and um, Apple have gone up like 1400% in that time. I mean, th th the performance speaks for itself, right? So you could gamble on an altcoin and get very, very lucky, but you're going to want to sell it. You're trading it essentially. Bitcoin's not something you need to trade. So that's just my thought on it. Indeed. We brought up, uh, I think, Satoshi, you get a question, you're on stage, you want to ask it? 
Yeah, Natalie, um, I, I uh, was just listening to you earlier how um, in your journalistic career you've followed the money and you've looked into corruption and that sort of thing. And and my question's around Bitcoin and uh, the big players in the space and the big players in finance. And do you see uh, a, a possibility of a scenario coming into the near future where um, people with large amounts of Bitcoin on their balance sheet um, maybe circumventing capital control and and using Bitcoin to um, conduct financial um, plays that are that are not strictly adherent to our uh, market controls. You know, I'm not I'm not probably not the best person to ask that question. I, I'm not I don't know. I in fact I think that there are a lot of institutions that are still on the sidelines looking in and they're not in yet. And I unfortunately haven't seen the kind of institutional investment to the level that I was expecting by this point. I sort of thought that at the end of September when there when some announcements would be made, that institutions would come out and a bunch would say the point on their balance sheet and, and that hasn't really happened yet. I think we're still we're still very, very early. So uh I think we've got a ways to go. And as far as, you know, what you mentioned, I, I, I don't know how to answer that at this point. And now uh, let's go to another question from Saeed. We've got a couple more minutes, so a couple more questions. Thanks, to guys, again, for joining us and asking uh, great questions to Natalie. So, Saeed, take it away. Uh, how are you guys? Uh, shout out from the UK here. <laughs> um, just a, a quick question. So, um, majority of the discord around Bitcoin and um, basically majority of cryptocurrency is mainly about trading and and uh, investing. What are your ideas about trying to promote more of a everyday use case of cryptocurrency or Bitcoin? Uh, and what do you think are, are some some of the hurdles um, of maybe utilizing Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies um, for everyday use cases? For example, making purchases, paying for rent, paying for bills, business invoices, etc. Well, again, I think it's very exciting that we're moving in the direction of having Bitcoin be used as a form of payment here in Los Angeles. There's like a um, a property owner that can accept Bitcoin as rent and a burger shop that I went to that accepts, you know, Bitcoin for payment. I think we're slowly moving in that direction. But for me still personally, I, I want to hold Bitcoin and I don't want to frequently transact in it just yet. However, I've heard from people in other countries where medium of exchange aspect to Bitcoin is extremely important and they utilize it on a daily basis without many barriers. And I think that's really exciting. So I recently went to the Human Rights Foundation's Oslo Freedom Forum Conference in Miami. Word panelists from, you know, Central America, multiple countries around Africa, um, Afghanistan, talking about how they use Bitcoin as sort of a, an option out of their oppressive governments and the tyranny that they experience or the, the massive amounts of hyperinflation that they experience. And they're able to send their, their family money or receive money from their families without the ridiculous fees of Western Union. Um, they can accept payments in Bitcoin. I, I spoke to a female CEO on my podcast recently who was talking about how she, since about 2013, has been paying her female employees in Bitcoin. And guess what? When it crashed, when it had some of the, the markets, she basically made all of them whole and offered to purchase back the Bitcoin at the high prices so that people who were wary about the technology and its future could still feel like they made out with whatever they would have had in, in the, the fiat currency. And um, obviously purchasing those back has you know been, been a boon for her. So I just think it's amazing how it's being used on a day-to-day -day basis in a lot of different countries. Now in El Salvador, obviously we're seeing that very quickly, even in other places like Nigeria and, and multiple other countries where they really need it as a medium of exchange right now 
it's just, it's, I think it's eye opening. It's empowering. I think it's, it's a window into the future. And I, and isn't there something amazing about that, that the window into the future is actually, you know, in third world countries right now and the fact that they're using it on a day-to-day basis. So I think that's really exciting. And I think that the, the more adoption that we get, the, the more advancements that we see in things like the lightning network and getting access to that with things like the Twitter tips, but even more so, um, you know, with, with people just downloading things like the strike app, I just see more and more adoption and more and more use. More and more use uh, as we move forward. I mean, we've got uh, a third world country like El Salvador now using it. Uh, so you're right on, and I would agree with you. The last question here, C-Dubs, I know you've been requesting for a while now, so uh, you're on. Uh, you get the last question. Go for it. All right, thanks. Uh, yeah, first off, Natalie, I want to thank you for the work in Coin Stories. Um, you know, just the education in those interviews has been super helpful in you know solidifying my confidence in Bitcoin. And um, I also I love your uh, comment about toxicity in the community. And I appreciate your approach because I think that's really important to get in broader adoption and uh, more people feeling comfortable in the space. Um, but my question, so I, I've read the Bitcoin standard. I've, I've definitely, you know, I've got conviction in the monetary side of Bitcoin and its structure and function, you know, as an alternative to fiat. Um, but where I've been not been able to get quite the same level of conviction and understanding is in how Bitcoin solves you know, some of the other like nuanced societal issues. Um, I know you're passionate about this stuff and I was just curious whether you have any books or resources you'd recommend in going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Can I, can I just ask you further? I mean, what, what specific areas are you, are you referring to? In terms of societal stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think just like wealth inequality, like I, I you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, one, one reach, I think is the fact that, um, in some ways, like wealth has been flipped on its head and, and you've got people who, uh, you know, maybe don't have as much money and they're able to kind of get into this and it's, it's creating wealth for them. Um, but I also just like long term, I'm kind of curious how that how that plays out. Also, you know, you, you just on some of these communities you hear about, um, you know, what what uh, issues, I guess, in other countries and so forth are being solved by Bitcoin and beyond the, the fiat. Uh, you know, consideration. I'm curious, like what other issues and, you know, are, are being solved by Bitcoin and can be solved by Bitcoin if there are any, like books that are out there that maybe you've read that help with that? Yeah, no, it's a really thoughtful question and I appreciate it because I do, I think about some of these things that are a little bit more philosophical on a daily basis. And I think about things like relationships under the Bitcoin standard or, you know, food under the Bitcoin standard, news and media under the Bitcoin standard. And and some of these kind of changes would really, really excite excite me and make me feel like things are a little bit more fair. Um, you know, I think that right now it's like, you know, that casino sense of, you know, the, the casino has the advantage or the house has the advantage right now, the people closest to the money printer have the advantage, you know, our, our government has, is, has been taking more and more power and in increasing people's taxes. People don't realize, you know, that when the income tax started in around 1913, it was very small and it was for a very small percentage of people. And we've allowed it to balloon to, you know, some people, are pretty much paying like half of their income um, to taxes in some way, shape or form. And that's crazy to me. I mean, if you're paying more than 50% in a place like New York, you essentially, you're no longer like the owner of your business. 
the state or the, the, the Fed owns your business. So I think that that's a really scary direction that we're heading in. Um, and so I think that Bitcoin, the idea of, of hard money returns us to sort of a fair system and a base layer of our economy that can um, that can sort of be directed by supply and demand, which it hasn't been for so long of like free markets. I think right now what people don't realize and where the education is needed most is helping people understand how money printing works and why, you know, all of the money, the new market is going to banks and to the hedge funds and the big corporations. And then, you know, they make certain investments and they make loans or they make what we consider in the Austrian school of economics, malinvestments that then create leverage in the whole system that needs to shake out and creates this sort of boom bust business cycle. So that's something you don't really talk about or learn about in school. And I see Bitcoin with its fixed supply at the base layer of this future economy that I believe in as sort of fixing some of these problems and allowing us to live in a society and in an economy where it's judged based on the value of the goods and services that you create. This this idea of like fair and free competition that will truly give people the best option as opposed, you know, creating a system that's based on artificial rates and the manipulation of wages and prices. I just think it's really scary the place that we've gotten to and people don't even realize how bad it is because the changes have been happening you know, so slowly and incrementally and we keep saying yes to all of the small changes. And suddenly we look back the last 20, 30 years and what our parents could once afford is so hard for, you know, just one generation down. It's everything from the cost of houses to education. And, and unfortunately the government and the system of fiat has contributed to that. So I would recommend reading the fiat standard. I also recommend reading a book by Peter Schiff called the real crash. Um, those are two of my favorite books and they, they come up with some solutions and, and they discuss some of these issues. So, um, I mean, we could get deeper. I've run out of time, but, um, but we could get deeper into any of these subjects. I just think that the world standard would be more fair and would have, um, a wealth distribution. That's a little bit more equal. We'd like to thank Natalie Brunel and the community for a great conversation. To stay informed of upcoming conversations, subscribe to the Investorly newsletter at investorly.substack.com. Investorly, invest early in yourself.